Welcome to Food Friday Leftovers. A podcast about all the goodies left over from Food Friday. I'm Dave Hopper. And I'm Ashley Kinsey. Tune in each week as we cover culinary topics such as food trucks, local food, pizza, veggies, beer, and wine. You hungry yet? Huh, I'm always hungry. Well, on that note, Ashley, tell us what's in the fridge this week. Oh, it looks like we have some delicious farm fresh veggies. We're here with Carol Clements. She's the owner and farmer at Heatheridge Farms. And then also joining us is Chef Rob Handel. So thank you so much for joining us today. Sure. Thanks for having us. So you guys are farmer's market veterans, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yes. So can you give us a behind-the-scenes look at how you get your stuff to the farmer's market from the farm? Um, Farmer's markets are a lot of work, whether you're a livestock farmer or a vegetable farmer. um, There's there's getting up early, um, (laughs) packing everything, inventorying what you're going to bring, packing everything. For us, it's mostly fresh or frozen meat, so you have to carefully control the temperatures, have ice packs, have insulated coolers, have a vehicle large enough to carry the stuff all in. Get down there in time. The proper preservation of your product is real important, whether you've got vegetables, fruit, or livestock. At the farmer's market, you'll actually get inspectors from the state ag and market that will come around and test the temperatures of our coolers and make sure Hmm. that things are being kept proper and at the safe temperatures. So is this like a weekly thing, or do you have to plan out longer than that, even though it's a weekly event? Most of the markets are weekly. We try to encourage our regular customers to give us an idea ahead of time what they want us to bring. We love when people reserve things in advance. In fact, we're building a page on our website so they can do it more easily. We want to encourage that <laughs> behavior. It makes us crazy when we, you know, we've brought down a dozen chickens and someone comes up at the end, oh, I wanted three chickens and we've already sold out. Right. You know, I would have been mm-hmm. happy to bring three more chickens if I knew. <laughs> so we're trying to get more... The regulars, but you're going to always have the first time buyer. You're going to have someone that was just passing through on vacation that weekend. So you, it's a guess. And when you're lucky, you're right on. And when you're not lucky, you brought all the wrong stuff. <laughs> yeah. The more people tell you what they want, the more you can be on the mark. Yeah. Is there always certain things you would bring regardless that people passersby usually will want? For us, fresh chicken is a big seller. People love boneless breasts. Oh, yeah. If I could grow a chicken with more boneless breasts, <laughs> I'd be wealthy. <laughs> so th- those are easy things. People want bacon. People want ground beef. People want affordable steaks. Um, there, there are things that we know that we should always bring. And then we'll try to have a special item, something unusual, and see what the interest is in it. One thing that we do sell a lot of is uh, sausage at the farmer's markets. Yeah. And uh, we make all of our sausages there at the farm. So I'm the chef in the cafe, and we have a, a full-service cafe and a kitchen there. And uh, we make a variety of sausages. We make probably 15 different styles of sausage, everything from kind of a standard Italian sausage, a pork-based Italian sausage, to lamb merguez, chicken and turkey sausages, hot dogs, um, specialty uh, European sausages. That's a really popular item at the farmer's market because it's nice. You know, In the summer, you can put them on the grill. They're easy to cook. Uh, people feel comfortable cooking sausage. Mm-hmm. They're wonderful off the grill. Yeah. And, and now I have a lot more different kinds to try. Yeah, I was just about <laughs> to say, all those different, so- I'm like, oh, I have to try that, you know? <laughs> when people are purchasing, say, they're, they're at the farmer's market and they purchase some sausage or um, a cut of meat, um, what are some 
creative ways that you could think of that we at home could kind of have something that's out of the ordinary and and be able to really experience the best I guess the best method to have those flavors going with the fresh because I I was talking to you earlier about eggs and how my experience with farm fresh eggs versus store-bought eggs and how how good they are and it was to the point where I really didn't need to add anything to them because the flavor was so much better so I guess what my question is is what can we do to sort of not drown out that fresh flavor because I know that meat from your farm is going to taste way different than those the package frozen mm. in the grocery store mm. well one thing is to ask the farmer there what's the best way to cook something you know for example grass-fed meat should be cooked a little bit differently than conventional meat oh, and you really? might ask for suggestions of recipes. Is there a different way I should cook this sausage than other types of sausages? I always recommend some people poke holes in their sausage to let the fat drain out. Hmm. No. Leave the fat in it. What you want it to do is to kind of cook and simmer in that fat. And the fat's where a lot of the flavor is. And the fat from grass-fed meats is full of the vitamins and minerals and nutrients and so you don't want that to drain off. Mm -hmm. That's the good part. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with you there. Well, what I typically ask people, um, you know, in, in the cafe, people order in the kitchen. So they order directly from me. And a lot of the times they come in and say, well, you know, I want to buy some lamb. What should I get? And a really, um, a really important question that kind of sets two different categories is how do you want to cook it? You know, do you want something that you can cook quickly on the grill in a frying pan roasted in the oven where it's you throw it in and it's done 15 minutes later? Or do you want something that you can make a stew with, a soup with, you know, something that gets cooked for a long time to soften it? So those are the two kind of uh, big differences between handling the meat. And as far as not drowning out the flavor goes, I think the most important part of that is knowing how to cook it to the right temperature and the right style. So something like a steak, you know, if you overcook the steak, you're going to put ketchup on it or A1 or one of these, you know, you want to compensate for that somehow. Mm-hmm. But if you take one of uh, one of our steaks, which are fabulous, and you put a little salt and pepper and you just cook it until it's done to the right doneness, that's really all you need. You know, from my perspective, the best way to not drown out those flavors of grass-fed beef and pastured pork and all that is, you know, knowing what temperature to cook it to, using a thermometer and paying attention to all of those little details paying attention to those little details uh, ends up with a great product and you don't have to resort to some of the stronger flavors to mask that. The other fun thing about a farmer's market is your vegetables and fruit are going to be what's in season as well as your meat as as the harvest goes. So it's kind of going to dictate some of your dishes. The when corn comes out, believe me, I'm having (laughs) lots of corn. Yeah. And I want to put a steak on the grill or a hamburger to go with my corn. You know, so kind of the menu can come together as the season goes on and what's available at the different vendors. So you might ask the vegetable vendor and the meat vendor, there's corn this week, what goes good with it? How should I cook, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and they'll help you put the menu together in the best ways to cook it. How is grass-fed cooked differently? Often grass-fed meat's a little bit leaner than okay. the conventional because they haven't been fed all that grain, which puts a lot of weight on at the last minute. Good grass-fed meat is well marbled, but it's gonna be different than the conventional. So what you wanna do, for example, on a grill, is brown it quickly on both sides and then move it to the slower part of your grill to cook slowly till it's done to the amount you want, whether it's rare or medium rare. So by cooking it slower, you're not going to seize up those fibers that don't have as much fat in it. If you cook it really fast all the way through, you're going to end up with shoe leather. Oh. <laughs> you don't want to do that. No. 
The other thing is that grass-fed beef, you know, beef in particular, but also lamb, there are guidelines for what temperature you should cook the meat for different donenesses. And those temperatures are lower on the grass-fed meat. For conventionally raised meat, I think the recommended, uh, I haven't used it in a while, so I don't have the temperatures for conventional memorized, but I think, uh, I think you know, rare is 130 to 140. Whereas for grass-fed, it would be 120 to 130. Wow. So it's about 10 degrees lower, uh, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it really makes a big difference. That's interesting. I did not know that. It's been a problem. In the people buy some grass-fed meat for the first time, and they overcook it. And they think, I don't like grass-fed meat. You know, right. It was hard to cook, and it was chewy. It wasn't my fault. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And and that's where the farmer needs to have information. We we have flyers that we give out that, about the difference between grass-fed meat and not. And we have fridge, fridge ba- magnets with a chart. So that <laughs> yeah. Oh, Those great. are very important. Yes. Yeah. We try to help you not ruin. Uh, <laughs> we've put all this work into growing yeah. it. We don't want it to fail at the last minute. Yeah. The education of the customer is an important thing. Yes, and that's one big thing about farmers markets is there's you're not just going to a counter or a fridge and yes. picking it out and then trying to Google what to do right. when you get home. You've got people to talk to there. That is the nicest thing is that it is person to person. What would you say if we wanted a, a couple summer meals that we could get at a farmer's market that maybe we can't get just at a store? Anything with uh, tomatoes. You know, the the tomatoes at the farmer's market are a completely different animal than the tomatoes that you get in the store. So, um, you know, a lot of people like those caprese salads with the tomato and mozzarella and basil. And if you make one of those with fresh basil, you know, usually farmers have basil because it's such a popular herb. Fresh basil and those fresh tomatoes, I mean, it's a completely different dish. Likewise with corn. Corn is another thing. You know, once you pick the corn, all of the sugar in this corn starts turning into starch. So the amount of time between picking and eating is really important. And, you know, the farms that we use, they only put out what they've picked that day. You know, at the end of the day, they have a a day-old vegetable area where you can buy some of the day-old stuff, but they don't sell the corn past the first day. Wow. So that's a, a huge difference. So, you know, if you have corn recipes that you like, just substituting fresh local corn makes an incredible difference. How much does the taste differ from day to day? Do you mean how, how does it differ as it ages? Yeah, or, yeah. Uh, the way that corn works is a lot of plants work like this. You know, they have sugars. The sugar is for kind of immediate energy in the plant, and then it gets converted into starch, which is for long-term energy. So as the corn ages, those sugars degrade into starches. So the first day, it'll be really sweet. And then as it ages, the sweetness starts to diminish, and it gets uh, that kind of starchy texture. You know, when you bite into an ear of corn, and it just it doesn't have that sweetness. It's kind of insipid and watery, and you get that little bit of grit. That's Like that's fibery. Yeah. yeah, instead of that nice pop in your yeah. mouth. Yeah, yeah. I think the first year of corn I had a long time ago was very sweet. Now, <laughs> so I, I was excited about it. I was like, "Oh, I love corn!" And then the next one you have is not the same. It's not the same. Yeah. Like, Wait a minute. Yeah. Well, there's also some difference in the varieties too. You know, so there are different varieties of corn, different varieties of carrots, different varieties of other things, and the variety will have its own characteristics as well. So that's kind of the fun of the market too: is finding out do you really want the super sweet corn or do you <laughs> want something that you're going to cook and put into a chowder and maybe you want something that does have more body to it. Right. So uh, you can find that out by talking to the farmers and see what the different varieties are best for. You mentioned something about the, the sugars t- converting to starch and it made me think about potatoes. Is a potato that has recently been harvested going to have a significantly different taste? 
it, um, it will. The taste and the texture. Um, you know, it's not as sweet as corn is and not quite as noticeable as corn mm-hmm. is. You know, potatoes do store very well. There is a difference. Uh, what's more important with the potatoes, I think, is the age of the potato. So sometimes um, you can find these really small little, you know, new potatoes. They usually come out the beginning of July, maybe. And those are markedly sweeter than the more mature potatoes. There is a difference between fresh potatoes and storage potatoes that have been around for a while. But mm-hmm. for me, what would be more important are the new potatoes compared to the more mature potatoes. They're called new potatoes, but they're just immature, small, little, you know, they have some sort of uh, cutesy marketing term for them in the grocery store, but yeah. uh, all of us old curmudgeons call them new potatoes. <laughs> yeah, I think I know the ones you're talking about. And um, potato is harvested in July and then the same plant. Would it matter in the season if the plant is different and, and or um, I'm stumbling over my words here? Yeah. So potatoes, <laughs> um, different varieties are harvested at different points. And the one of the unique things about potatoes, they evolved in the Andes where there's a very even daylight hours. You know, the light is more consistent than it is in this part of the world. Potatoes, they're kind of on their own cycle. Sometimes people buy potatoes from the store hoping that they can cut the eyes out and plant them and they just won't sprout and they're lasting for months and months and months. So it's hard to control when the potato grows or doesn't grow. So the variety is kind of, uh, you know, what varieties they're growing throughout the year are dictated by when that variety will grow. So, you know, you're not able to get all the varieties in July. By September, usually, they, they've grown all of those varieties and they're storing the early ones and... Uh, and all of that, so you can get different varieties then. I have a question about grass-fed and cage-free and that. Mm. Is there, obviously the buzzword now. Yeah. Are there people that check farms for that? This is this is a real important question. There, um, A lot of the stuff is unverified. This is where you have to build uh, a relationship and a trust with your farmer and go visit the farm if it's something that's of real concern to it. The The government did have uh, guidelines for grass-fed, and the past year they abandoned it. It was they had no way to enforce it for one, and uh, people were finding ways to get around it. Even mm-hmm. the, for example, cage free applies mostly to meat chickens, broilers, and roasters. They're never raised in a cage. Laying hens are often raised in a cage so they can easily harvest the eggs from them. Uh, most commercial conventionally raised chickens are raised in great big houses where there's a ton of them on the floor. They're in crowded conditions, um, but they are cage free. Ah. Um, So that's, you know, you get, oh, I've got, you know, cage free meat. Well, it's like, well, you have a, (laughs) you have this picture in your mind of a chicken, you know, walking in this grassy open field. And really they're just in this overcrowded space yes. that technically isn't a cage but is just essentially one large cage full of chickens. Exactly. And also uh, you'll see on some egg cartons that they uh, you know, had access to the outside. Having access doesn't mean they went outside. Yeah. Um, there's actually, you know, like this small door that the chickens are scared to death to go through. It's out onto a little plot of grass but yeah. they can technically say that they had access to the outside. So th- there's a lot of this is marketing as opposed to clear definitions of what it is. Um, on our farm, we have sought the certification of animal welfare approved. Uh, we okay. find that that's an important issue for a lot of our customers, how the animal was treated. And when they come to our farm or can talk to us at the farmer's market, we can explain it. But we also sell online, and we sell at a couple of stores where we're not there. So we find that that certification helps people feel certain 
that we are following those kind of guidelines. This kind of third-party certification is good. The government regulations are definitions that are basically not enforced. So anybody can put on their package that it's natural, that it's grass-fed, that it's what, and there's nobody checking up on it. But if you do have a third-party certification, then, and you can't talk to the farmer, then you have a little more certainty that it was done the way you were hoping. What should we look for as consumers when we're at the farmer's market, when we're in the grocery store purchasing things? Being a parent, I do try to get the best food I can for myself and my daughter. Sometimes those labels are just so confusing. They're, they're very confusing. You know, for example, organic. It, it could say organic beef, which means that it, was, it could be beef in a feedlot that was fed organic hay and corn. And it's never seen a fresh blade of grass but it's technically organic. So you have to understand what the limitations of those different labels mean. And choose, choose wild, uh, educate yourself on what those labels mean. How does it get verified? And then choose what. That's an advantage of the farmer's market or the food co-ops uh, mm -hmm. is where that is spelled out. That's part of the reason why when people start to go to farmer's markets, they, they continue to come back because they're building a relationship with the farmer and a couple times I've gone and I've heard people say oh yeah you know we got this coming up next week I'm gonna have a bunch of this and then that gives you kind of a heads up and you're excited to go in and get the next thing that's coming up yeah and yeah all that so you don't get that in the supermarket no <laughs> no, no. <laughs> do you guys have a funny story we usually like to end with a story that sort of sets off on a nice tone we have a lot of funny stories. Well, <laughs> this is a this is a podcast, but I just have to say the way that you two just looked at each other was like, which one should we tell them? <laughs> that's funny. Um, well, that's a tough one. We have a lot of funny stories, but of course, if you ask us to tell one, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, they all they all escape us. Uh, well, the farmers markets are just starting up, so this is kind of a fresh uh, fresh start to the farm market season here. I did a. Uh, I was on a radio program at one point and somebody called in and said, well, you know, I noticed that the lamb and the goat cost more than the beef. It, it seems like they're pretty easy to raise and they don't really require a whole lot of uh, <laughs> a whole lot of care to raise them. Why? Why is why do they cost more than beef? And, you know, of course, I had to explain the that they really aren't that easy to raise that, you know, you, <laughs> there's there's all these things that go into it. So that wasn't terribly funny, but <laughs> <laughs> drawing a blank on fun. <laughs> That's okay. We'll let you off talk. Yeah, well, there is one thing that I was going to say um, when we were talking before you were on a show and somebody was asking you about blood sausages. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, yes. I, I for, The show was about uh, pork. It was a it was actually a, a Food Friday episode in November, and it was supposed to be a pork-centric show. Uh, we raised three different breeds of heritage breeds of pigs and do all sorts of different stuff with pork. And somehow blood sausage came up in the conversation and uh, shortly after, we got a call asking where somebody might be able to source some blood to make blood sausage in the Saratoga area, um, <laughs> which was kind of funny. But, yeah, I'm not from Saratoga, so I had no clue. It's, it's a very difficult thing to get in this country, period. It is. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't ever seen a container of blood in my grocery right? store. No. It's <laughs> <laughs> Usually it turns off the customers a little bit. Yeah, you know. not a common item. Well, Rob and Carol, thank you so much for joining us on Food Friday Leftovers. Thanks for having us. <laughs> yes, we oh, really like, appreciate oh, it. Oh, I like that name. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. That was Carol Clement, owner and farmer at Heather Ridge Farms, and Chef Rob Handel. This has been Food Friday Leftovers. I'm Ashley Kinsey. And I'm Dave Hopper. 
Be sure to check out Vox Pop Food Friday every Friday at 2 p.m. on WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Our producer is Jessica Blaustein Marshall. Our theme is Beach Disco by Dougie Wood. Food Friday Leftovers is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. And tune in next week to see what else we find in the fridge.